welcome to this episode of On Finding Peace, brought to you by Life's Journey Life Coaching. Our host, Chris Shea, is a counselor, nationally recognized speaker, and author on topics of guiding us to finding peace in our daily lives. Learn more about Chris Shea by visiting his website, www.lifesjourneyblog.com. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of On Finding Peace. I'm your host, Chris Shea, and this is the podcast where we talk about practical tips that we all can do on a daily basis, which can lead us to finding our inner peace. I know that inner peace is possible. I've been without it. I've found ways to get it. And on this podcast, we talk about ways that we can find it and keep it on a daily basis. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode. And today we are talking about practical tips that can lead all of us to inner peace and happiness on a daily basis. And I'm very pleased to be welcomed with uh, Rabbi Gruen as our guest today. And Rabbi Gruen has written a book entitled Get Along With Everyone. And the book is very important because, you know, today we seem to be very fragmented as people. And it'll be interesting to uh, listen to some of the insights and wisdom that Rabbi Gruen has to share with us about uh, that title of, you know, getting along with everyone. Uh, Definitely, we've talked in the past, and I've written about the importance of connectedness, and uh, that's why it's great to have Rabbi Gruden with us. So thank you very much for taking uh, your time to join us. Okay, thank you, Chris, for having me. Uh, It is a pleasure. Uh, would you uh, take a moment and kind of introduce yourself to our audience and talk a bit about, you know, who you are and what led you into, um, you know, the writing of this book and this topic? Yeah. I'll tell you, it's been a few years that I've been helping people. I would say that it started literally just as being a listening ear with some friends. And I still remember when some friends started encouraging me, like, oh, you got to do this for, for, for a livelihood. You know, you got to set up an office and just take people and charge money. I was like, oh, I would never do that. You know, if I could help people by listening to them and giving some advice, like, why would I ever charge anyone money for that? In the meantime, I was trying to make a living doing other, other stuff. And, you know, it's interesting because in my book, I talk about personalities and I, I've spoken, I've given classes about choosing careers. And so much of it really has to do with what you cut out to do. When you understand people's personalities, you know how you know that every, oh, everyone, I don't say almost everyone, everyone has something that they're cut out for. And when you do what you're cut out for, you enjoy it, and you're good at it, and you're successful. And if you're doing what you're not cut out for, then you're wasting your time, and, and things are stressful. So it was interesting how I was listening to people and trying to help people on the side and doing other things during the day. I wasn't enjoying those other things, whether it was typesetting or some other kind of graphics and stuff that I wasn't cut out for. In the meantime, I didn't have enough time for the people that wanted to discuss things with me. So slowly I did turn it into something, you know, more steady and more hours. And I started talking to people more and more and giving advice. And I I started realizing that so much of what people were talking to me about was relationships, which is, you know, such something that 
everyone wants to be successful in their relationships. And by the time I was getting more and more experienced, even without any formal training, I was setting up my own ideas and my own um, you know, understanding of why people struggle and what people could be helped with. And just came a point where, again, people started telling me, you got to write this in the book. It's so straightforward and it's so consistent. You got you to put these ideas on paper that people should be able to benefit from them, even if they're not talking to you one-on-one. And that's what happened. It, I, I, you know, obviously, it took time. I would say around around three years. Um, from the beginning, when I started putting my ideas on paper, until I had an edited version of this book. But you know, by the time it was done, and a lot of work went into it, I'm, I'm happy that I did it because I see how many people are appreciating it and benefiting from this every day. And you know, definitely in today's uh, society, that's kind of where we are is we seem to tell ourselves that we are one of the most connected societies ever with all of our social media and everybody has all of their, uh, you know, friends lists and thousands of people on my friends. And we seem to be lacking very much when it comes to relationships, but yet we're telling ourselves that we have a whole bunch of relationships. Right. Right. It, it, you know, it's so easy to have friends on social media and get along with, like you say, thousands of people or have thousands of followers, I should say. Right. That sounds even more exciting, like a real leader, you know. Oh, exactly. the, reason why, the reason why it's so easy is because there's nothing to it. You know, for me to, me to connect with you on social media and share pictures or just log in when I'm in the mood of you or you log in when you're in the mood of me, that's not, that's not a relationship. A relationship really has to do with, you know, knowing how to work it out. And obviously, the closer and the more intimate the more difficult and challenging it could be because there's all the ups and downs and moods and everything that's coming along with it. And there's no way out. You know, a real relationship is something that you're committed to. And that's why it's so important to get it right. So when we uh, take a look at your book, uh, Get Along With Everyone, what is uh, unique and different about your book uh, that makes it stand out? What, what's, what are some of the insights that you've gained um, and you know, why you put that into the book. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. I'll tell you, you see, the fact that there are so many books on the, on the topic of relationships is, is very telling um, about how much help is needed in this field, right? I, I say often, you know, when it comes to a, a manual on a machine, there's one book, and that's what works. You almost won't find somebody giving out a different book with different uh, tricks and tips about how to fix your air conditioning because it's pretty straightforward. By the time somebody wrote it up, you read it, you follow the instructions, and you're good to go. With relationships, it's seemingly much more challenging, and that's why there's so many different ideas, because what works for one person doesn't work for the other. And that's what we really have to understand. Why is it that what worked for one marriage, right? You'll have somebody writing a book about their own experience, their own difficulties, and their own solutions, right? And they'll suggest that you do the same, and you'll try it, and it won't work for you. And then you'll go to the next self-help book. So why is that? And the, one of the answers, one of the main answers is because people are so different one from another. So it's almost like using the same manual for the car for different models, which every, obviously everyone would understand that it doesn't make sense. Every car is designed differently, so you can't use a model, you know, a Ford manual for a Toyota car. And that's what it is with relationships. So often um, books or people that are helping are suggesting something that's some kind of one size fits all, and then it doesn't work. And that's where my book is different, first of all, because I'm, I'm starting off by suggesting that people are so different from each other. And that's actually one of the reasons why people struggle in the first place, because of the inherent um, personality differences. 
So it's not anymore about just fixing the idea of marriage or relationships as much as really understanding what is it with these people, um, why are they not getting along, where and what did the conflict start from. And then when you have that better understanding of what disrupted the relationship, you know, it's, a, it's so much easier to zoom in on what's really going to work and make things better. So your focus is on the personality side um, and how that interacts with relationships rather than just uh, the big picture of relationship. It, it, it sounds to me like you're looking at the, the individual and their own personality and how that interacts with the other. Right, right. But, you know, you asked me about what's unique about my book specifically, and that's where there's really another part of the answer. Like I said, there's relationship books, and then there's a book of, about understanding people correctly. But honestly, there's been books about that as well, right? I'm sure for those who know, you, know, you go into the library, you'll see books about personalities, you'll see books about different personality assessments, um, you'll see about how it affects relationships. On that topic alone, there aren't as many books as there are in general about relationships, but there are quite a few. What's really unique about the book that, that I wrote is the understanding about why personalities really get in the way of relationships. Let me just say it in short. Um, it's true that people are designed and wired and programmed differently from each other, and it's almost self-understood that that can cause a problem in a relationship. In other words, you know, if I'm the happy-go-lucky type, let's call it, happy, friendly, social, enjoying life, and living in the present, and you're a calm, easygoing, low-key kind of guy, okay? So mm -hmm. it would make sense to everyone that, okay, two such people, maybe they'll have a problem in a relationship. What's important to one might not be important to the other. What's uh, a problem to one may not be a problem to the other, and it would make sense that they should fight about that. But I discovered something a lot deeper than that. And... I, I write in my book about the basic four personality type, right? It's the breakdown of the main four elements and components of people's personalities. And a lot has been written about it as well. But when you categorize it correctly and you put people into the right groups and you're specific about what you're zooming in on, what is it about, what is it about these four personality types that make each one so unique and different one from another? What I came to realize is that that's a myth. It shouldn't be that way, that somebody who's happy-go-lucky should have a problem getting along with somebody who is much uh, more calm and relaxed and compliant. As a matter of fact, you'll see that when understood correctly, again, when understood correctly, and you categorize people the right way, you'll see that most people, even though they are different from each other, will still not have a problem getting along. There's no reason why somebody who is friendly and happy should have a problem getting along with somebody who is more introverted and relaxed. That, that should still work. In other words, of course, we may be a little different, but we could accommodate each other, we can compromise. And on a logical level, we should understand our differences and accept them and accept our spouse and our partner. But then I realized that one of the four personality types is, has something much deeper to it, and that's a certain sensitivity and a certain emotionalism that is very intense and very influential you know, in a person's program. And if it's true that every fourth person, approximately, right, you're talking about 25% of people, mm -hmm. are more emotionally inclined, and that's what dominates in their personality, then slowly you'll come to realize that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm noticing, and this is something I came to notice, I'm noticing that every time I'm seeing conflict in a relationship, it's because at least one of the two parties involved 
are dominated by emotion. In other words, even if they were very different from each other, but they were both still not dominated by that emotional component, they would still get along even though they're very different. So what I came to realize slowly is that every conflict that I've seen, any interpersonal conflict that, you know, that, that turned into something real, I should say, it didn't just dissolve in, in 20 minutes, um, was always being traced back to a specific personality type. Now that's a discovery that I've never seen in any book before. Yeah, and that does sound very unique um, on how we're now blending the, the personalities with, with the emotional side. And I, I like what you're saying because where we hear a lot about people talking about opposites attract or, you know, you don't want to have, you know, sameness and all, you, you're going, uh, it sounds like very much uh, deeper than just, you know, the saying, you know, well, opposites can attract. Right, right. It's not necessarily the opposites or the similarities as much as something specific that's getting in the way of people interacting successfully. Correct. And the way that you're looking at that is that's the uh, uh, emotional side of it. Right. And that's underlying, like I said, it's across the board. I, I haven't yet seen, literally, I have not yet seen in, in seven, eight years of um, you know having people consult with me as well as seven, eight years of giving courses on this and writing on this topic and giving speeches about this, I was never challenged. I'll say it that way. I was literally never challenged uh, with a situation that wasn't fitting into this, into, into, along these rules. In other words, by the time I realized, and I was sharing with people that, you know, you'll see, every time two people are not getting along, one of them is hypersensitive. Now, that sensitivity may, may not be noticeable right away. That sensitivity may not be something that the person's expressing out loud. But when you look, you'll see there's somebody who is dominated by emotion and behaving emotionally. And that's why even though it may not be logical to fight, and as a matter of fact, it's not logical to fight or to not get along with somebody, it's working against you at the end. But people do it because the emotions trigger them and they and, and, and it just takes over. And only, so, only I know people will think, well, oh, yeah, everyone's like that. No, only a quarter of the people you know are like that, interestingly. What do you think causes that? Um, personality makeup is, is, is inherent at birth. This is what people are born with. As a matter of fact, I've given a lot of these classes to educators, and it's always it's, it's so interesting for me to see how um, preschool educators, I'm talking about nursery and kindergarten children, educators are able to learn this um, successfully and then go and apply this to every child in preschool. Now, preschool is already a young age. You're talking about two or three-year-olds. And I've had very many people that learned to be able to assess properly young children at that age already. But that's not all. I've had people that mastered this even more and are able to literally assess a child, I wouldn't say at birth, but after a month, one month old, you could see on a child the, this, this, this personality dynamics, you know, which, which element is, is dominating, which is subdominant, and so on. Interesting. And then the way that you're looking at that is that then continues from that early age into then the adulthood, which is affecting the relationships that we're now having um, later on in adulthood. Yeah. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because in the, the, the example I give often in my classes, just, just as a, a cute uh, example, 
you know, when the glass falls off the table and it breaks, why did it break? Did it break because it's glass or because it fell off the table? You know, well, somebody might say, what do you mean? It broke because it fell off the table, right? I say, well, yeah, but look, the paper also fell off the table. It didn't break. Oh, you're right. It broke because it's glass. Hey, but there's a glass on the on the table that didn't break. Not not every glass breaks. And that's really the combination um, between the nature and the nurture. Obviously, a glass only breaks when it falls off the table. The window only breaks when you throw something at it. It doesn't just break by itself. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really does shatter is the glass. In other words, it's the combination between the fragility of a person's personality along with whatever that person's been through. So what happens is, in conventional psychology, so often we're looking at, oh, what kind of trauma has this person been through? What was the upbringing? You know, what caused this this problem? Why are they reacting like that? And very often what we're missing or overlooking is that it's part of that person's nature to react this way to whatever he's been through. You're right that he's been through a traumatic past, and that's probably what's affecting him and the way he relates to other people. That's true. But why him? Wasn't his brother uh, brought up in the same home? Wasn't you know someone else going through the same challenge and, and taking it differently? So people will then go ahead and justify with another excuse for that difference. But the real answer is because he was sensitive and fragile all along. You may not have seen it until he was challenged, but there was something naturally um, sensitive about him, which is why he didn't have that resilience that he needed you know, to overcome that challenge. And that's why you're seeing the finished product of what happens when something fragile breaks and, and becomes problematic. How are you seeing this within our current society? Do, do you think there's been an increase with some recent generations or is this something that's just be, always been around? Um, I only mention that because I'm based on my experience in dealing with some of uh, the people who are now young adults, a little bit younger. And I've noticed the uh, recent articles that have been written about this whole fragile generation and, you know, the, the bubble generation where, you know, they seem not to be able to handle anything. Um, is that part of what you're talking about? Do you think there is a generation that way or is this just something, you know, that we're labeling now and, and this has been around forever? Uh, it's a good question. I'll tell you, I, I think the, the natural part, the, the fragile part of people has always been there. As a matter of fact, when you read about challenges that were around years ago or conflicts that, were, that happened years ago, you know, history is full of conflict, obviously, and people not getting along. That's not a question. Um, history is full of all kinds of arguments and, 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 and fighting and, and conflict that, that really shaped history in the first place. Right. So I, th I believe that it could always be traced to fragile personalities. And I've read a lot of history in that light, and it always made sense to me. You almost won't see somebody who, oh, for the first 40 years, he was a gentle soul, got along with everyone, very friendly, compliant, easygoing. And then all of a sudden, one day, started picking fights and got into bad arguments and couldn't get along with people. It doesn't happen like that because that's what personality is about. People's personalities are consistent and, and they get along with each other. You know, it, you know it, the way it was till now, that's the way it continues in most cases. However, there's definitely something about, you know, some truth into what you're saying because it's definitely a generation where people expect more to be happy, even though it's, it's almost ridiculous, but that's how it is. Right. You know, it's the fast food generation. Um, people are in, in some ways much more financially stable. 
Um, people are more comfortable. People are living in comfort. People want to be happy. If someone's not happy, they go for therapy. They take medication. They do something. They don't. They don't tolerate um, a lack of comfortability or happiness the way they used to. So even though you know our great grandparents may have been just as fragile as we are, at least a quarter of them. Let's let's say, right? But to go get divorced or fight about it or demand to be more comfortable in a relationship was not something they were used to. They were working hard in the fields. They weren't happy people. You know, there were so many things that were making them unhappy, I should say. I shouldn't say they weren't happy people, but they were struggling all along. Not, life wasn't bliss. So when something went wrong, they swallowed and they, they went on. So when they didn't get along in a relationship or they felt that the spouse was not taking them as seriously as they would have wanted, for example, they, they didn't run away. They dealt with it or they, or they tolerated it. It was probably hurting the same much because they were as fragile, let's say, but it's, it's, what, it's what they decided to do because of it that was different than what we do today. Today, when somebody's feeling uncomfortable, if somebody's driving in a highway, he's driving on the highway and he, he's not comfortable about the, the lane that he's in, he changes lanes right away. That's what, that's what we're used to doing. So when you have 25% of the population that's sensitive and emotional and reacting instead of being proactive, right? People are reacting to their situations and their comfort level all the time, then automatically what's going to happen is they're going to be doing that in a very different way than, than people did it generations ago. Interesting. So it's it's somewhat the same today as it used to be in your estimation. It's just how we're coping with it that seems to have dramatically changed. That's right. But like I said, again, when you look in history, you'll see how many people allowed their personal discomfort, you know, to, to determine how they're going to react and behave and then and then shape history. No, definitely. And uh, I, I like what you're saying, because I, I'm. In, in my mind, I'm, I'm seeing that this unique position that, that you're taking, and, and, and I think that's part of the key to this. But somebody could walk away from this uh, conversation and say, well, the rabbi is telling me to stop being emotional and just be logical and suppress all emotion, never show emotion, and just be almost robotic. Great point. I love that question. <laughs> See, interestingly, I, I didn't even get there yet, but my book is not about overcoming emotions at all. My book is about understanding, at least in the first two-thirds of the book, first of all, um, the difference between personalities, which is not something I covered really now in this conversation, but understanding that there are four main personality types and then there are 12 combinations, you know, of how that comes about in the dominant and subdominant. Um, and then understanding how different what I call the ultraviolet personality, the fragile personality, is from the other three. The next part of the book, which is a nice few chapters, is not about how an ultraviolet personality should be coping with their own emotions as much as how a spouse or a partner or a parent or you know any kind of person relating with someone like that should be trying to make that person as comfortable as possible. When you understand that the person you married or your child, or your workmate, or your manager, or boss, or employee, or neighbor is fragile and sensitive by nature, it will be so helpful for you. And so uh, bringing such an awareness as what you should be saying, what you should not be saying, it's not about walking on eggshells, but it's also not about getting upset at the person and saying, you know, why, why did you react that way? I didn't mean it. There's nothing about, I didn't mean it. It's not about what you meant as much as what that person heard. 
So just like we understand that when it comes to ages, for example, I think that's such a, a simple example. Everyone understands that you can't talk to a young child in preschool like you could talk to an like you could talk to an elderly person, or even just an adult. It's it's a given that children understand things differently, and it's given that if you talk to a child like you would talk to an adult, he won't even understand what you're saying. He may start crying. So what are you going to tell him? Why are you crying? I spoke like this to ten people today already. Why are you crying about it? How ridiculous! He's a child. He, he's understanding and feeling things on a totally different level than someone else who's an adult. When you understand that the same difference, or maybe even bigger in some degree, you know, in, in some areas, maybe even a bigger difference, is between people on a personality level. You could tell someone to one person and they'll take it as a compliment, and somebody else will take it as a cynical uh, criticism. But when you understand it and you realize, oh, that's because the mindset, his program, his emotional and and psychological program is wired on a sensitive level, then I won't say that. I won't get upset at him for misinterpreting my words. I'll be more careful. Interesting. So most of my book is about understanding the personality and reading it correctly as opposed to controlling your emotions may for some people actually be impossible. Right. Yeah. So when I'm looking at not being able to control emotion, then what you're saying is it's all about how others respond to me. Um, both respond and actually avoid, you know, being proactive. Yeah. If, if, yeah. By the time I learn my spouse or partner sensitivities, it just becomes so simple and so consistent. As a matter of fact, let me just say something interesting that I heard from a participant in one of my classes. You know, let me just go over one minute to parenting so that you understand what I mean. Okay. And this is actually an advantage that I have very often in explaining things because if we would be discussing a certain client or a certain situation and I would be giving my understanding of how this is the person's personality and that's why he's doing it and you would be saying, no, it's the background, it's the upbringing, it's the learning disability, it's I don't know what. It's some chemical imbalance, right? So we could argue from today till tomorrow and nobody has to agree that it's a personality issue. Everyone could say, no, I don't believe there's such a thing as this kind of personality. I believe it's the nurture and the whatever past experience that has been causing this. Okay, go go argue, you know. But what's interesting is, and this is what I see so often when I talk to educators about problems in the school systems and other things, you know, similar things. Even if somebody would want to doubt my theory or discovery, however you want to call it, it's going to hit them in the face somewhere. You see, in, in my circles, I'm coming from Orthodox Jewish community, um, most people have more than five, six children. Now, by the time you have five or six children, chances are that at least one of them is going to be ultra-violent personality. So what happens is, even if an educator was going to argue with me about my idea when it comes to something in the classroom, and they'll want to decide that it must something else, but when they go back home, they'll see somewhere in their own immediate family, you know, hey, this guy's right. I'm noticing now that the challenges I've had with this child of mine is is maybe because that child is more fragile. I'm not now. As a matter of fact, I realize now when I look back that this child was more uh, fussy about about the bottles she drank as a baby, or about what she was wearing, or about other sensory issues, or you know who knows what, some kind of self consciousness that's all coming from that same fragile personality. I'm starting to connect the dots. I was blaming the teacher. I was blaming circumstance. I was blaming experience. Now I realize that there is something natural and inherent about this. And so often I see how people who were at first skeptical about my ideas are slowly starting to realize that, that they're noticing it at home. 
in their immediate families, siblings. So anyway, I was just mentioning the parenting part, how when you realize this in children, it just becomes so much simpler. You know, so many different things that, that were an issue. But many people told me that after learning this and understanding it correctly, the child of theirs that was the most unpredictable, right? And we all know what that means. You could have one child who takes things well, someone child who's pretty much okay. You know, you could basically uh, predict what that child's going to do or say. And then one child, like, everything's fine. He's having a good time. And then somebody said a comment and all of a sudden, whoa, he blew his handle. I, I can't predict what's going to happen with him the next minute. The child that's the most unpredictable when you understand him correctly and treat him correctly and, and know, you know, what to say and what not to say or what to do and what not to do, he's the most predictable child. I've heard this from more than one person. And the oh, reason is because when somebody is reacting to emotions, you could you could predict what he's going to do. Just an interesting analogy. If somebody tells you, you know, could you predict what what your, your wall at home will look like, you know, uh, tomorrow? Yeah, basically the same as it did today, right? Obviously. Uh, can you predict what your mirror will look like tomorrow? Well, no. If somebody doesn't know what a mirror is, they're going to be wondering because the more you look at it, the more you see how you know, different hours of the day, it's showing different things. When, when my father stands in front of the mirror, it's showing my father. When my mother stands in front of the mirror, it's showing my mother. This is so unpredictable. Right. But when somebody, somebody tells you, you know, silly, that's a mirror. A mirror is showing who's on the other side of the room. So if you look who's going to the other side of the room, you're going to predict who's going to be in the mirror. You'll start realizing that the mirror is the most predictable. The wall, you know, the paint could chip. Somebody could write on it. You know, you never know what's going to happen. They can have a leak under it. The mirror is the most predictable. But you have to first understand what it is that the mirror is really reflecting. And that's really what the, what the fragile personality is about. When somebody is emotional, you could predict how they will behave depending on how they're feeling, as opposed to other people that are not so dependent on their feelings, and they may do things differently than they're feeling. Very interesting. I, I like that analogy. I, I think the analogy has helped to uh, summarize and solidify what, what you've been talking about. And, and it, again, it's very... Uh, interesting to see this twist where we're focused more on the feelings than we are on the personality. So on a practical level, people who are listening to this, what is something that they can start to do uh, right away today that would help in their own relationships? What, what would be one of the first or, or first two things for them to, to practically work on? Okay. I'm, I'm going to make believe that the people you mean are people that are living with or relating to somebody who is sensitive and fragile. In other words, let, let's assume that we're not talking to people that are themselves sensitive and reacting to their own discomforts. Just, okay. Just for the, for the you know, practicality of the conversation. Obviously, it would be almost the same idea, but you know, twist it around. But if you're dealing with somebody who you feel is overreacting, sensitive, taking things out of, out of context, out of proportion, and, and just, you know, being irrational sometimes. The first thing you want to do is understand why it's happening. And like I said, it's coming from an emotional component that's dominating the logic. First thing first, don't try to fight that. Don't try to address emotions with logic. As a matter of fact, many people who have tried it, you know, they keep on trying it because they don't even know where they're going wrong. Or sometimes you assume like, oh, come on, this is so clear this time. I'm going to say it. I'm sure my wife will understand. And then, boom, you find yourself in a debate that's going on for another two hours. So the first thing you want to realize is that when somebody is behaving that way, in, in what, what looks to you like an irrational way, it's all about emotion. Emotions don't have to be 
logical. They don't have to make sense. Emotions are just that. It's a way a person's feeling. The fact that you don't get taken over by emotion, or at least you don't think you do, it makes sense. That's fine. You may be wired differently. As, mu as much as you may be experiencing intense emotions, it's not dominating or, or determining you know, what you're going to do about it. But the person you're dealing with may be dominated by emotion. So the first thing you want to realize is what happens that causes this reaction in my spouse or in my workmate or whoever it is. Is it, is it that when I say something, he thinks that I'm accusing him or blaming him? So sometimes people say, but I'm not. I know you're not. But the idea is to try to understand what's he thinking? What's he feeling? How is it coming across to him? The fact that you're not is, is not important. It's almost irrelevant. If it, you know, it's not about justifying your intentions. It's about understanding what did that person hear now? And slowly you come up with your own ideas. Now, obviously, I have my ideas that I share in my book about how not to challenge someone, fight with them, debate, um, just trivialize their concerns or their worries. You know, so many things that you should avoid because they are triggering for somebody who is emotional. Even just forcing your opinion on someone or making a demand. It could be small stuff. You know, obviously, humiliating someone else is already a bigger thing. But even small stuff that are so challenging for a fragile personality, when you think into your own relationship, you'll start coming up with your own list of, of, of things and triggers that you just want to avoid. The fact that you don't react like that means nothing. It doesn't demand that the other person shouldn't. The fact that you don't understand why it was challenging doesn't mean your spouse is understanding that. So when your wife feels challenged, you should realize, hey, that was a trigger. I'll try to avoid that in the future. Okay. And, and yeah, it becomes now I'm not just being self-reflective for the sake of my own self-reflection, but I'm trying to be reflective enough that I can understand in a deeper way the person that I'm with. Right. Now, it's, it's interesting using the word reflective. See, obviously, aside from avoiding triggers that are challenging, you want to also lay on thick, you know, whatever good um, um, feelings you could. When somebody's hypersensitive and emotional, it's possible that they're going to be very self-conscious and, and very um, uh, lacking confidence and other things that are challenging for somebody who's very emotional. And that's why you want to be there to make that person feel good. You want to be there to give the appreciation and the compliments and all the good feeling you could so that somebody who's emotional will be emotionally comfortable. Now, people sometimes ask, you know, whoa, so much work on me. I have to avoid all the triggers. I have to make my spouse feel good. I have to constantly be, you know, be there to, to work around that person's emotions and walk on eggshells like, hey, I, I wasn't ready for that. That's not what I signed up for. The interesting part is that part of the ultraviolet personality, and again, I'm not, I can't go into it in detail now, but part of the idea and the reason why I use that interesting color, ultraviolet, is it's, a, it's like a reflective personality, like I said about the mirror. You know, imagine somebody saying, I have to look nice into the mirror, and what's the mirror going to give me? Well, the answer is the mirror will show you exactly what you just showed the mirror. When you're nice to somebody who is very emotional, and you're making them feel good, and they're feeling safe and comfortable around you, there's a certain loyalty that they're going to be showing back to you that others may not even do. There's something about that, that loyalty that's coming from that black and white, back and forth, you know, me for you, you for me, that you'll get specifically from that UV personality in your life. So while somebody else may take a favor and just say, okay, bye, now I'm gone, sometimes it's specifically that emotionally challenged person who when you're um, smart enough, intelligent enough to express and, and, and prove yourself that you really think highly of them and that you're worried about them and care for them, all of a sudden they're going to be showing back to you the same exact thing. 
So it's not about investing just to make someone else happy. It is reflective and it comes straight back to you and it makes the the most challenging relationships so fulfilling and so pleasurable that it's just amazing. So that, that really does sound awesome. And uh, what's good about this is it is very practical. Um, as we uh, look at wrapping up, is, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think is an important concept that we need to know before, uh, um, you know, to make sure that people understand what's uh, what this is all about? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure some of your listeners are thinking, you know, um, you know, just making my sp my spouse feel good and and walking, you know, walking on eggshells, I call it, and you know, being all careful. That that's all beautiful, you know, when there aren't challenges and there aren't problems. But what do I do when when there is a challenging situation? Do I have to now tolerate abuse just because I'm trying to be nice to someone and I don't want to challenge them back, or just because they won't handle it if I if I stick up for myself? And I designate a whole chapter in my book about boundaries. Because really, that's the balance we need. Making someone else feel good is just one part of the puzzle. If you know, if you don't know how to um, take care of your own boundaries and protect yourself from not being hurt, then then you're done. You you can't you can't function like that. You see, what happens is so often it looks like a contradiction, and this is where I see people suffer all the time. They look at it like either I'm going to be very nice to you, and being nice to you means that you're going to always get your way, and I'll never challenge that, or that's not going to work for me. So I'm going to stick up for myself. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to think about myself. And then, you know, you just take care of yourself because I, I'm here to make sure that I'm okay. And that's not a contradiction. It shouldn't be that way. When you, By the time you learn how to really take care of someone emotionally, make them feel really good about themselves, good about the relationship, um, you know, that you're there for them and understand them and validate and all that. But at the same time, and not in any way contradictory, taking care of yourself and knowing how to, implement and, and protect your own boundaries and not be controlled by someone else or not be taken over or feel controlled by someone else but not because you're pushing them back and saying hey don't control me i don't need you here in a nice way talking about yourself and expressing you know i feel like this it would mean so much to me if you could take that seriously i really don't feel capable now of doing things you know differently than xyz there's so many ways to protect your boundary without hurting someone and when people get that balance that's, like I said, what could turn the most challenging relationships into the healthiest and most balanced relationships that are so fulfilling and long-lasting. And, and yeah, this, this recipe really does work, and, and it's something you want to stick to, but it's something that could really last a really long time. Excellent. Well, I, I really appreciate the uh, insights that you're able to share with us, and I'm sure that you know, as you summarize this, the listeners do have uh, more questions and, you know, would like to know more about this. So what is the best way that uh, they can either contact you or that they can find out more on what you're talking about? Um, I, I have a lot of classes and I have a lot of different ways that I offer this. But I'll tell you, since I, since I gave out my book, I see it as like the best way to get this across. It's, it's a nice size book. It's not too big. It's not too difficult to read through. And it's pretty thorough, chapter after chapter, where I discuss the personality types. I discuss the distinction of the ultraviolet personality. I discuss what I call the do's and don'ts about how to get along in a relationship. And yeah, ordering this book online, for example, probably the simplest way to get it, you know, get along with everyone. Um, I, I've seen so many people who are benefiting from it that it's, it's just so rewarding. Excellent. And uh, I know it's on Amazon. I, I assume it's uh, wherever books are sold. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, 
Rabbi Grona, I really appreciate the time that you've taken with us. And uh, I encourage everyone to take a look at uh, your book, to purchase the book, um, take a look at uh, the rabbi's website, which has all of the uh, products and courses and a lot of good information uh, that you can find over uh, at the website as well. And I'll put um, links to the book as well as uh, to the rabbi's website um, on the show notes. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, thank you, Rabbi, for joining us. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Be well. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode, and I hope that the message in this episode has inspired you and given you some of the tools that you need to find peace in your life. If you have found those tools and you found this to be inspiring and you know of others who also need these tools, please share this podcast with them. Let them know of the opportunities out there that they too can find their inner peace. Thank you very much for the sharing. Thank you for listening and have a very mindful day. Thank you for listening to this episode with Chris Shea. Learn more about Chris Shea by visiting his website, www.lifesjourneyblog.com.